Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 7-26-2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Let's have prayer. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We pray as we begin our study for life, health, and strength, and we thank you for the wisdom that you have provided us over the years. It has been a journey, Father, as we have come to know you better. So we thank you for this church, Father. We thank you for those uh, here, those who may be joining still. And we pray as we open your word that our study will be fruitful. It will develop wisdom and understanding. And that we will begin to come into the full knowledge of the truth. Father, we pray for those who are on our minds, those who are sick among us, in particular the Han family, and then <clears throat> the Presley family, um, as, uh, with a special emphasis on Mike today and his family, and um, praying for uh, Frederick Presley Sr., Jr., and his family as well. And we're praying for the Myers family, the Sneed family, the Hurick family, all the families associated with Word is Truth, uh, the Torres family, and others who um, we can name. Each one, Father, is precious in your sight, and we know that you uh, have their best care in view. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Amen. So we, we have been studying in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 today. We've got one verse ahead of us. We won't take a long time, but we'll put it together. Uh, the verse in question is, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So, um, <clears throat> in your notes, while receiving salvation is free and does not require us to make decisions about how we live our lives, God has provided a way for us to live in this world. God's power is unleashed as we submit to his plan through the renewing process. With salvation, we have only one choice to make, and that is about Christ. In living the new spiritual life, we still have only one choice to make. That choice is whether we will allow Christ to live through us in this world. So as we think about these verses in uh, Romans toward the latter half what's revealed is some of the nuance of the spiritual life that we have as believers if you want specific instruction uh, each, that could apply to, to our lives as in the form of what we might say principle God is giving us some of the buttons the hot buttons that we can see and apply to our lives. Um, we have 
come a long way. Uh, actually, we're almost toward the end of uh, this type of instruction as we talked about renewing your mind and then we dealt with spiritual gifts. We are at a place now where Christian conduct is at issue. How we are to live. What does it look like? And it's not over just because we, we finish Romans chapter 12. We start in at Romans 13 with that we ought to be subject to the powers that be over us, the governing authorities. <clears throat> so <laughs> I would always, well, we'll get to 13, of course, but there are some interesting things in 13 that we will find that also speak to how our lives are defined. What type of life should we be thinking about while we're here on earth? What, what are we doing down here? And some, as, as, as we talked about renewing your mind, that part of it should help orient us to what we're doing down here. That's the part that I think is missed in a lot of Christian conversation and churches and organizations. They talk a lot about Christian behavior. They don't talk a lot about the why for what we do. And if the why for what we do is different from the why of what they're doing, from what they're doing, then it's different. It's not the same, even though you might say, oh, it's the same. They're, we are told to love and they are told to love. Yeah, but love means different things. So it all has to do with, have we taken the time, the discipline, perseverance to allow God the Holy Spirit to teach us our place here what is the eternal purpose of the Father and how we fit in to that purpose so that's important um, so we'll continue tonight as we uh, have in, in verse 19 so we're going to break it down uh, a little bit and we'll talk do not take revenge my dear friends. So point A is, as we discuss, reciprocating evil is a temptation that originates from the sin nature, sinful nature. While we may not be concerned with that, God is. Why I say this is, it's a strong temptation. <clears throat> it's a, it's compelling. Uh, if we feel that we have been wronged, usually something, some indignation, some uh, some justice that rises up, or, or this is our sense of justice is violated. It rises up and it wants us to defend ourselves. It wants us to exact and to get justice for ourselves. That is a strong temptation. If we feel we're here, we have a life, and we have a right to live it and there's a lot of things that go behind uh, us trying to reciprocate evil so if someone visits e evil upon us what is the first thought well did that to me then you deserve uh, what you what what comes to you and it may come by my hand or anything I can figure to get back at you to, to get vengeance upon you 
So this is, <clears throat> this is what, what is going on in the world. This is the order of the day. <coughs> so not to think somehow Christians are free from this motivation. We are not. We often fall into temptation. And why do I say temptation is usually viewed as something positive that we want for ourselves, something good we want. Oh, or it could be could be good in our own eyes. Doesn't mean good in the eyes of God. It could lead us astray. It could be something we see as good and it's really evil or wrong. So we look at temptation as oh tempting. Well, here the temptation is in a different area. It is to exact punishment, to be malicious toward others, to repay evil for evil. And this is where it's, it's a temptation that seeks to get control of our thinking rather than uh, our disciplined thinking that comes from our renewed purpose, our new understanding of life. So, um, <clears throat> so we may, we may not even think twice about it, but we need to stop and say, okay, when something does come up, when we are wronged, then how do we handle that? What are we to think about? It may be like a natural thought to say, okay, let, let me just hit back. But then we, as I said, we may not be concerned, but God is. If he's telling us this, he's telling this for a reason. And we'll get to more of that as we move forward. Point B, revenge seeks to exact justice. That's really what's behind revenge. It's saying, if you feel like you've been wronged, you just want to make it right. Because you're saying, look, look, it's, I can prove it. I can prove I've been wronged. I can tell you how it worked. This, was, this happened, and this happened, and that happened, and, and I was wronged at the end of it. So I need to fight for myself here. I need to exact justice. Yeah. That's the motivation behind. You might say that's an honorable motivation. Some might. It depends on what the wrong was and, and all the effort that is sought to make it right. Some people say, well, that's good. Why should you... Why should you not do that, right? It's, it's, so it is very logical in some respects, but God has given us instruction about how we ought to behave or respond to uh, injustice in this world. We must remember it is our justice and not God's. And so even though it seeks to exact justice, even though something rises up and tells us there's been a wrong and we need to make it right, we need to understand that that is our justice, often. That's what we think is the right remuneration for what happened to us. So it is not necessarily what God thinks, it's what we think, and then we went ahead and executed that as far as, well, this is what we think, this is how we're gonna handle it, and this is what we'll do. So let's just remember, so when we say justice, is it God's justice or is it our justice? That's a thought to make. Point C. If we have persisted to understand God's eternal purpose. And when I say persisted to understand, we're talking about the renewal process. Many people haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to 
give them a new outlook on their new life. They have just taken parts of the old life and tried to reform them and just continued on with uh, pieces from the Mosaic Law that they feel fit into the framework of their uh, new life. But it's not, it's not what God has for you. Now, that's, which is why the motivation for doing what we do is important, the why for what we do. And, and so it says we now have the opportunity to allow Christ to live through us. Now, when I say this, you've take, if you've taken the time to, to learn what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, if you've taken the time to understand what God is doing in this world, I say you now have the opportunity. It doesn't mean <clears throat> that you will actually live according to what God wants you to live according to. Though that's still optional for you. Just like salvation is optional, the Christian way of life is also optional. Now, the disastrous thought is if you fail at salvation, you shall not see life and the wrath of God will remain on you. But if you fail at living the Christian life, then you're failing as a saved person because unsaved people can't live the Christian way of life. And then you just will not receive rewards. I don't want to make it seem like there's no uh, no punishment or, you know, because people think, well, you should be punished. If you... Well, all of our sins were already punished. Christ took all of our sins on himself. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So there shouldn't be punishment for sins committed because Christ already took that punishment. So what's left? Then God could say, well, this person did not make the decisions to allow me to have access to the world through them. And so because of that, they will not receive a reward for service. So that those are consequences. Now, of course, there could be discipline uh, where God is trying to curtail us, help us come to the realization of what is uh, true of us and who we are in Christ and so forth. And he may discipline us to get our attention at times. He may even take us out. For this cause, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So it is very possible that discipline could befall us, but we will not lose our salvation. We will only lose rewards. Uh, right? So that, that's uh, important to note. So Romans 5, 1 through 5, talks about it from uh, the most positive perspective we could. Watch. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there, that's salvation right there. Been justified through faith. Done. If we have that, that means we have the righteousness of Christ and the justice of God has declared that we're now justified. Justified means we're in a right relationship with God in terms of his perfect standards. So he says, we have peace with God. So we are no longer at odds or misaligned with God. We have peace. 
There's harmony between God and us. Like Christ was the mediator between God and man. So when we believed in Christ, we have peace with God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through our own efforts. It's through his efforts, his provisional work for us. So that's done, salvation. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which in which we now stand. So through whom? Through Jesus Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So this is, this, this is a part of our inheritance, the fact that we've been chosen, that we have an inheritance that is related to riches, the hope of, his, of, of glory. And that is a part of the New Age uh, inheritance that we have obtained. So we call it the hope of the glory of God. And so, so we've come to understand that after salvation. And then he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, whoa, now I don't think a lot of people do that. But once they realize that who they are and what they're doing here, then they will realize there's opposition to what they're doing and they will see the bigger picture. So we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because we're not hoping for some pie in the sky thing that will never come to pass. Or people will say, well, what are you talking Like it says in Second Peter, where is this coming that you said was happening? And it's been a long time. What's happening with that, right? So, but this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, so this, <clears throat> this love that we have is the motivation it is the drive. It is the dedication. It is the very commitment that we have. It is the very, when we talk about the hope, it is what we wait, when we wake up in the morning, we realize, I, I'm here. Thank you, Father, for another day. And we want to live our lives according to the Father's plan. It is that determination, that love. We're not just saying, yeah, I understand what, what I'm supposed to do. We accept the responsibility that God has placed on our shoulders as we're here in this world to allow Christ to live through us. So that's, that's what we mean by it. If, if God has gotten you to the place where you understand and you understand what your eternal purpose is as it relates where your place in the eternal purpose is, now you have an opportunity to allow God to use you and whatever gifts he has you know, given you. So that's important for us as we think about um, don't take revenge, right? Because we, we're talking about why we wouldn't do that because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Suffering has its purpose in this world perfecting us so that we are solidified and understand that 
through suffering comes joy, comes the realization that we are on the right side, that God has promised us, that we have a hope, and this hope will be realized. Point D, let's keep moving. God's justice is based on his perfect righteousness. Will, and the question is, will we allow God's purposes and his way to be expressed through us? Now, when I say his justice is based on his perfect righteousness, so the Father executing his plan did not bypass his perfect standards in doing so. He did it righteously. He brought. He is bringing many sons into glory. And when it's all said and done, he will have brought many sons into glory. <coughs> so, so <coughs> excuse me. Perfect rights. So the question is not, God has executed the plan flawlessly. Will we allow God's purposes and his way to be expressed through us? It will be expressed whether we choose to walk in truth, to come to the full knowledge of the truth or not. If we're saved, <clears throat> there's going to be a certain level of glory that is received because of sovereign grace over our lives. We are those sons. We will receive glory. But now, <clears throat> there won't be rewards for us it, it depends. Will we allow God's purposes and his way to be expressed through us? Point E. I hope the answer to that is yes. Point E. Revenge is a strong appeal to our sense of justice. So think about it. <clears throat> so we're still talking about this verse, do not take revenge, my dear friends. So it's a strong appeal to our sense of justice. And we must be clear about who we are and why we're here. And I'll just say 2 Corinthians is the verse I wanted to bring out in this area. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. 18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we have a ministry. We have a job. We have a purpose. It goes beyond our eternal purpose, but in addition to that, we are also here to to bring uh, the the thought here. Because if if any man is in Christ, that man is free from Adam, and there's all these things that happen to them after salvation, which we talk about the baptism of the Spirit, the ministries of the Spirit, all the different things that happen to equip us to live this new life. So all this is from God who reconciled us through himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There it is. <clears throat> he is a, this commitment, this calling, this is a part of who we are. It's not the only thing God expects of us. We have an eternal home, which is in the heavens, and we have a role there that God uh, has called us and saw us and chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. 
So that role will be fulfilled, <clears throat> but this role is on the earth. God has called us to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. In verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I just have to ask you, is this information and calling important? Is it important to the world? I know the answer to all of these questions that I might ask will be yes. It's very important. So God has, this, this role that we have is uppermost in our minds as we walk the, the streets of this world, knowing that we have a message, as, or as Peter said uh, to Christ, you have the words of life. The words of life are on our tongues, if we know them, obviously. So we want to be sure that as we think about who we are and why we're here, that we think about it from the standpoint of the calling that we have received. So we're not just here like everybody else is, trying to fight for our way, trying to make a living, building families, and all the things that people in the world are doing. He has a special call for us. And this is not to say that you shouldn't get married or have a family or have children or any of that. It's not to say. But if you do those things, that is, those things are secondary to the purpose that God called you. Now, of course, uh, if you get married, God has, you have the responsibility. Right? If you have kids, then you, obviously you have that responsibility as well. So you have to allow God to have the priority in your thinking when we talk about who you are. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, point number two. So do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. <clears throat> so point A, this reminds me of the short verse, and here it is in Ephesians 5.10. And find out what pleases the Lord. So when it says leave room for God's wrath, that tells me don't, when you're considering things as what justice is and revenge and all of that, just leave room for God there, for his wrath. Leave room for that. Make, make a place for God's righteousness and justice in life. So if, if we're always trying to find out what pleases the Lord, that is the motive that I, I feel we should have. It reminds me of that verse. Point B, submission and devotional choices should be from a transformed mind. So let's just, let's just think about that again. Submission and devotional choices. So religion will use these words. However, they will not use it according to God's eternal purpose. They will use it according to whatever their church or standards are, whatever their organizational standards are. That's how they will use it. <clears throat> so Ephesians 5.8, let's look at that really fast here. 
Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So God rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We were in Adam. Everything that was in Adam was natural to us. is what we were raised with. But God is saying something changed for you. You were once darkness, but now there are things that have happened to you. Live as children of light. And that means, well, if you ask, well, what is light? That's verse 9. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Yeah. I think that's pretty clear. So, and, and our verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. So, those verses are key to our motivation, as just as the Romans passages are. So, uh, point C, leave room. Well, consider that you are not here alone. As you're calculating revenge and all that, right? You have to take into account or leave room that God is here. He's here too. And he's also for you. So Romans 8, 31 and 32. Let's read that. Uh, let's see what that has to say to, with reference to this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. So this is when I say leave room for God. Consider God. He's there. He's for you no matter what. Even when people are against you. Yes, they can be against you. Yes, they may cause suffering in this world. But I like what the Philippians verse says. And I, don't, I, don't, I just want to give it to you here. Let's throw it in here. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20, 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There it is, the suffering. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still they supported the Apostle Paul, and they went through the same type of struggle that he did. They understood the truth, and they suffered as a result of it. So they knew that there was uh, truth in what God was telling them in the first place. So, so we have to leave room, as it is, for that. Um, so this is... <clears throat> so we're in point... Uh, D. So point D, God's wrath. Explained in the next phrase, right? As we think about 
vengeance is mine, I will repay. So what is God's, leave room for God's wrath. What is God's wrath? It's explained in the next phrase, you know, mine is, it is mine to avenge. It, it does have some explanation there, but I just want to throw some more thought into this God's wrath thought. But it is God's justice displayed in human terms, or what we would call an anthropopathism. Hopefully, we understand that term. It means being able to describe uh, policies or actions of God in human terms. So anthropopathism has to do with uh, things like attitudes and such. Anthropomorphisms may have to do with uh, he covers us with his wings, or uh, so it's more you know the eyes of God and all that. These are anthropomorphisms to help us still understand certain aspects of how God operates in human terms, terms that we can understand. So his justice is displayed in human terms to express his displeasure and determination for those who are misaligned with his righteous standards. And if you need to think about this, why do I say it this way? Is because it is an anthropopathism, and we are to understand this as God is not angry, like he's not banging his fist on the table in anger, but he's using the term God's wrath to explain to us, help us understand his righteous standard and how he intends to deal with those who are misaligned with his righteous standards. Yeah, it's, it's an easy definition, right? So I will take my time, think about it, and make sure those words match what God's wrath actually is, if we were to explain it. Now, I know we already talk about God's wrath, and people think God is up in heaven angry because it'll use terms like his wrath. God doesn't, he doesn't have to get angry. Why is he angry if he already knows what's going to happen? He, he's seen the end from the beginning. He's seen the beginning to the end. If he's the first, the last, and this, he understands all of that. So there's no point in human history where he's going to come to, man, I didn't know that was going to happen. Why did they do that? I, again, they did that. Right? God knew every moment of every detail that would ever happen in time. He, knew, he knows it perfectly. He already knew it when he executed the plan. So there's no occasion that God would be angry about something. So again, we, we are trying to understand and understand God, who is not a human being, right? but he is, he is God. And he is trying to help us understand how and what he does, and also why. So all of that is important as we think about these terms. Point number three, or actually, so, but relieve room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So, first point, this 
though, is covered uh, under a variety of scriptures from the Old Testament. Now, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of scripture that deal with this thought. It is mine, I will, re I will avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, you could look at all these scriptures. Maybe I'll just read a couple of them. Um, so Romans 13, 4 talks about the government, God using the government and the authorities over us. Let's go to some of the Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy 32, 35. Let's, let's look at a couple. And we won't take a lot of time. I, I will pick a couple to look at. Deuteronomy 32.35 says here 32 here we go it is mine to avenge I will repay in due time their foot will slip and their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them the Lord will vindicate his people and will relent concerning his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. So notice, God is hes not somewhere up in heaven, not paying attention. You know, he's, he set things in motion and he kind of like went off and did his own thing and he'll check on us every now and then. He is actively involved with what's going on down here. I also like what it says in Revelation where he says, I know your works. Now, obviously, some of these things can overlap between the two dispensations. Why? Because God dealt with his people, Israel. He is dealing with us as well when it comes to certain things. And they're very similar in the way he deals with us. Psalm 94. Uh, well, let's see. 32, 43. Let's see what 43 says uh, in Deuteronomy. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. Blood is the death, right? He will take vengeance on his en enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Uh, and then there's uh, Psalm 94, 1 through 3. Let's look at that really quick. Psalm 94, 1 through 3. says, The Lord is a God who avenges. O God, who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They, and then it goes into, they pour out arrogant words, the evildoers are full of boasting, but there's a lot. But notice, the Lord avenges. He will repay. This is what our verse is saying. For it is written, I, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When he repays, it, was, it comes from a perfect standard of righteousness and justice. That's what we can know. I'll just read this one, Hebrews 10.30. Um, we'll jump to that. Hebrews 10 and 30 says... For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, there it is, the Lord will judge his people. Now in this verse, notice, it is not just the enemies of the Lord, it is his people, right? And he's talking about us. 
the church, the Lord will, uh, will judge his people. Now, some these Hebrew Christians, I call them Hebrew Christians, which is really a misnomer. So they're not Jews or Hebrews, but that is their culture. But they were the victims of a lot of persecution. As it says in verse 32, remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had that better and lasting possessions. So there, you have what God is saying, he will make things right. Now, even though he will judge his people, meaning he will discipline them as needed, but not to think that God is just somewhere not concerned about what we do and how we do it. But discipline will never rise to that, the fact that we will lose our salvation or the thought that we will lose our... Discipline will not rise to that level. So God will judge us temporally, but when it comes to eternally, we have eternal life. Let's keep going. Point B, we are here by God's design. He will certainly protect his people. However, we must also realize that this world will never be kind to us. So God is not saying that you know, even though he will avenge, he will judge. We don't know when that is coming. We don't know how it's coming. We can't say, oh, see, well, uh, I pray for that person uh, to be, you know, severely judged because they offended me or something. And then something happens to them and I say, yeah, you see, God judged that person. Now, that would be wrong to assume. What we have to do in this area is trust God. We won't know. God is not going to knock on our door and tell us, hey, by the way, I did exact judgment. We just have to leave that in the hands of God. So it's God's design that we are here and that suffering is a part. That goes to point C. The suffering is a part of our Christian experience. It is. It really is a part of what we're doing down here. I know it sounds, okay, God's going to avenge, so now... We can look around and see what God's vengeance is. No, God noted the wrong. He noted why we were suffering. And he recognizes how to avenge according to righteousness and according to his eternal purpose. So point C, suffering is a part of our Christian experience. Some suffering may, uh, some suffering God may deliver us. And at other times, we may go through it with his sustaining power. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I like what it says in this NET Bible. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. I like that translation a little bit. Back to the NIV. Um, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God, who is faithful, 
he will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Notice, endure it. So a way out so that you can... So not everything that happens to us we will automatically receive deliverance from. I know this is a big thing today about how people are searching and fighting. Oh, Lord deliver us, you know, get, getting our breakthrough, you know, we've been, we come through and all this. There, therefore, uh, th these are things that we ought to just leave in the hands of God. We don't know how it's all going to work out. We just don't know. Uh, so I think I was supposed to read a couple of verses before that. I'll just read those. Verse 11, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now, if you look at all the things, he's talking about things that happened with Israel, but some of this overlaps, like I was saying. So now he says, uh, verse, so uh, these, they were written down as warnings to us. So if you think you are standing, be careful that you don't fall. And then it talks about the temptation because you could be thrown off with false expectations. So we ought to have the thought that, okay, God, uh, I'm going to allow you to have judgment in these areas. So it is a part of our Christian experience. Literally, that is where this judgment is. It's part of our Christian experience. It's part of what happens to us in the world. We ought to make sure that we don't set it up set ourselves up for failure and and the thought that oh um, i think judgment should happen this way and if it doesn't happen this way then obviously that's not judgment right we'll, we'll come to those conclusions but we have to allow god to have his way point d lastly uh suffering for christ is certainly legitimate suffering we are expected, now, when I say that, suffering for Christ is certainly legitimate suffering. Every, all the suffering that you go through in this world is not for Christ. This, is, this world has injustice and unfairness, and I could go on and on. All of that is happening in this world already. So, when we think about um, Christ saying, I will avenge this and that, Right, uh, don't worry, vengeance is mine. Don't don't have revenge motivation. He's telling us because we have a mission here. The reason we we have a purpose here that is beyond the normal operation that go, that's going on in the world. It's legitimate suffering to suffer for Christ. That goes without saying. We are expected to be quote. To, to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So these are some things to consider as we think about 
living in this world. And that is Romans 13.1, which we'll be talking about what that means and how, how we ought to apply that when we get there. But just know, all those things are certainly so. <clears throat> we ought to be subject to the governing authority. There, there are some standards, some standards of conduct that we should make sure that we, we have while we're living in this world. It will alleviate some of the suffering that goes on, some of the thoughts of suffering that happens in this world. Uh, when, when we follow God's instructions, He's saying there could be suffering as a result of those who don't, and that's 13.2. We'll get all to that. But we should know that there are some guidelines, and we've been calling them guidelines, <coughs> that can alleviate some of the suffering that we have. When I say alleviate, I don't mean that uh, God will remove every time we have suffering, remove the issue or the problem. Or what's causing the suffering every time. What I'm saying is that he will be able to provide uh, enough information and strength that we will be able to endure the suffering. So we get through it one way or the other. Maybe God will deliver us. That could possibly be as well. So there are some things to think about when we're, when we're talking about suffering. So one, one of the things I would just say is we're not going to know every time something negative happens to us, we could quote a scripture and say, well, God's going to deliver me from it. That, it. Yes, he is going to deliver you, but the delivery might not mean that he will remove the suffering. So what is that to say? Is that to say it's confusing? No, it's to say that we leave all of that in God's hands. And just remember, we have a mission to fulfill. We're here for a purpose. So suffering will happen. It's, it's a byproduct of what will happen in this world. But leave it to God. It says it's mine to avenge. He'll do it. We just trust that he handles that part of it for us. So I'm going to stop right here and we'll pause to see if there are any questions, thoughts about anything we covered and uh, the floor is open. Yeah, so, so one thought would be, I think we've, we've studied that um, we go through discipline yes. because we, have it, we don't grow up. Yes. That's right. So, so the thought there is, like we were saying, is you, you got Christians who don't know their purpose here. So they're already going to be uh, misaligned with God, and God's going to respond to them with discipline and training and all sorts of things to try to get their attention so that they do grow up, right? But I'll, I'll pause. Go right ahead, Bill. Well, we finish your thought. Yeah, no, I, I just re remember, you know, previous studies where we talked about, um, you know, we, it's not because of our sins, because Christ paid for our sin, but the, the believer, God will discipline the believer because he doesn't grow up. True, true. Yeah. So there could be suffering for a lot of reasons, right? We could, 
be suffering because we are reckless in life. Like we may make bad decisions in life and as a result of it, we suffer. So if we're punished for doing wrong and we say, oh God, you, you laying all this suffering on me. But some of that suffering was self-inflicted. So, which is why we're going through these passages as guidelines. When we get to 13, same thing. <laughs> well, be careful. The governments that be are set up as authority in this world, and, and you ought to respect that authority. Listen, we're here in every nation, and the laws will vary in every nation. You may live in a communist country. I'm just going to the extremes. Or you may live in a country that is a democracy or a republic or something. So, or, or social, socialism. There are many different forms of government that you could be living under as a believer. And it's not your job to, uh, to change it, but to be subject. Because why are we worried about that when we got a greater responsibility to, concern, to, to be focused on in this world? It, it matters little that we're under some, you know, what, what form of government we're under. We have a greater responsibility to, to bring the words of life to those who are lost in the world. And um, so he's telling us not, oh, every form of government is, is perfect. No, he's not saying that it's perfect. He's saying, submit to it. <clears throat> Suffer it to be so, so that you can live peaceful and godly lives in this world. And you can go out and give the gospel to where, wherever you are, to those who need it. I'll pause, Bill. Yeah, that, that was uh, pretty, pretty much it. I, I just remember we, we did a study on um, discipline, and he disciplines people for not growing up, learning doctrine. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Well, it's not just that, but sometimes believers do get out of line, and you know they're not intending to walk in truth. And they're so part of it is they need to come to the understanding of truth and to come to love it. Right? Some people don't get to that point. First, they don't persist to to know what God's plan is, and then just because you persisted to know what God's plan is, does not mean that you will live or give up your life for this. Right? You may decide, I'm, I have a right to live my own life here. But you have the right to also sacrifice your life for Christ. This is what Christ was saying when he said, if you would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. You, that's, those are the terms. Because it is giving up yourself. Like the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. He, he wasn't crucified with Christ. He was there. He, he was alive. He says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul is saying he voluntarily gave up his life for a higher purpose. And that is the Father's eternal purpose. That's what he's saying. I'm... I no longer live, right? I don't live for Paul. I don't live for Saul anymore. 
the, the ambitions, the dreams, the thoughts of my right to live is Christ. I gave it to him. So he can do with me in this world whatever he wants. And I'm okay with that. If I die as a result of this, fine. That's fine. If, I, if he wants me to go to wherever he wants me to go and say whatever he wants me to say, I'm, he can use me. He can use my vessel in this world in that way. The life I live in the flesh is, is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think that's where we are in, on Sundays as well. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's awesome to think about it, but not everybody will do it. So hence, not everyone will be rewarded for what they're doing while in the body. Not everyone will. So we, we just keep that mind in mind. It's, it's an awesome thought that we have this opportunity to glorify God in this manner. And it's a privilege for us to be here. Those he chose from eternity past. If we come to wrap ourselves around our purpose. Will we allow God? I think the question I asked was, uh, here it is. Will we allow God's purposes and his way to be expressed through us? Will we allow that in this world? That's up to each one of us. And if we do, we'll be rewarded for that. If we don't, well, we won't. But I'm going to stop, see if there are any closing thoughts. All right. appreciate everyone's attendance and and thoughts let's close thank you father for this time we've had this evening we thank you for your grace your way and the understanding that we know father that you have us here in this world and you are watching out for us you're looking and what and there present in every situation and everything that happens to us, you see. And you've taken up the responsibility of bringing your justice. We thank you, Father. We don't have to be concerned with that. That you are our God and you are fighting for us to make things right. Thank you for, for those who attended, Father, and we pray that this message will be a part of our spiritual lives that we honor and that we give our trust and love to you as we understand the commitment that we have in this world. All this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll catch you guys. We are giving you guys back the rest of your day.